How many when you're singing that song in the chorus, you start going, just a closer walk with thee, just a Anybody do that? I don't, is it a gaither thing? I don't really know what that is, but I start doing that, and I'm like, oops, that's this Church of Christ. I've got to quit that or something like that. Anyway, 1 Samuel chapter, 2 Samuel chapter 5 here in just a second. We will be there. Grateful that you're here tonight. Um, hope that you stay for some fellowship time with the Tims and kind of roast them a little bit, hear some stories about them. Um, kind of share a microphone a little bit with some people and if, if you can share it I understand there's some stories people say that can't be shared for whatever reason so you can keep that to yourself write that down put it in the box but if you can share it hope that you will tonight and make this a, a fun time and this is gonna unfortunately be something that happens a little bit every once in a while with people who move away as much as they don't like I know Ben and Lydia will be having something like this uh, a week or so from now with the uh, young professionals, they'll be doing something similar to this. Is we just, they come our way, they stay a while, and then they go away, and it just, uh, every one of those is a, a joy to have and a hurt to, to see leave. We're in 2 Samuel chapter 5. We're just going to do five verses tonight. Um, and you're going to say this. This is, what, this is kind of what the tone of this is. Well, it's about time. That's kind of what you want to say as this chapter gets underway with these five verses. Then all the tribes of Israel came to David at Hebron and said, Behold, we are your bone and flesh. In times past, when Saul was king over us, this is 2 Samuel 5, verse 2, it was you who led out and brought in Israel, and the Lord said to you, You shall be shepherd of my people Israel, and you shall be prince over Israel. So all the elders of Israel came to the king at Hebron, and King David made a covenant with them at Hebron before the Lord, and they anointed David king over Israel. He was 30 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 40 years. At Hebron, he reigned over Judah seven and six months, seven and a half years. And at Jerusalem, he reigned over all Israel and Judah 33 years. This has been a long time coming since 1 Samuel chapter 16, when God had Samuel anoint David. We've known where he is headed. 25 years later, he gets here. He couldn't have known how long that was going to take. Uh, it, and it's a weird thing. I guess it, came, it comes incrementally. It was 18 years before he was king in one part of the tribes, and then 25 when he was king in all of it. But all the tribes come, and, and the weird thing is they finally come to this re realization that David is the man for the job for all of Israel, not just for one tribe. And the arguments are kind of strange. Exhibit A is... Uh, he's our flesh and blood. He's an Israelite. He's one of us. It's like the American Constitution. You have to be native born to be a president of the United States. Uh, you want somebody who's been here all their lives. And they said, you are one of us. So, you, you know, and so automatically you have a concern about us. But number two, exhibit B, I would call it, is that you've been leading the army for years. This takes him back all the way to David and Goliath, his first real battle. And then Saul put him in charge of all the armed forces there for a time, and he led Israel, and he was successful in every campaign. And they remember, this is 1 Samuel chapter 17, 18, and 19. And then he goes on the run from Saul, but he's still fighting battles for Judah. And so all this time, he's been putting together this nice resume, but Exhibit C is the most mysterious of all. I don't know how they knew he was anointed by God to be king, that was way back 25 years ago. None of these people were there. 
Um, and so how did they figure this out and when did they come to know this? And the words that are spoken here are spoken nowhere else and called, this is the first time a king of Israel is called a shepherd, which makes total sense. In the ancient world, they often called, called their, their kings shepherds because of the role that they played. This is the first time one of God's people is called a shepherd. They're kings. A good reason God's called our shepherd, Psalm 23. Jesus is called the good shepherd, and the people of Israel are like sheep without a shepherd. And so this is a great language. This is a great job description. But where did this come from? When did they finally say, well, God's chosen you? However it is, these three things combine, and they finally decide David is our guy, and they make this covenant with him at Hebron. And now, after being God's choice, he anointed him. And then being Judah's choice, they anointed him. Now he's all of Israel's choice as they anoint him. And as Saul was 30 when he became king, so was David. And 30 was also the age of Jesus when he begins his public ministry. It's like a leadership year of life. And here we are saying, well, it's about time. 25 years in coming. What can you compare this to? Inaugurated to be God's king... And then 25 years later, you actually are. This is exactly you. You're in this spot yourself. You remember the day when you decided to put on Christ in baptism? Anybody remember that day? You chose to live your life for God and to let Him be your Lord. You submitted to Him the waters of baptism, and you worked equipped, fitted for eternity. You are never more saved in your entire life history than that day. But you don't get the full privileges of that blessing of what God's done for you until later on, until it's, it's future. It's still future for you. So between the time when you became a child of the king and to the time that you are in the presence of the king, there's a gap. There's this time. The scholars will call this the already but not yet. You already can claim benefits of it, but you're not yet there. Now think about the danger that this time period poses for you, just like it did for David. I'm thinking about a person who now is declared to be, you're the, the right person, but it's going to be a number of years before you get there. What could happen to them? What could their attitude be in the meantime? I think about entitlement. It makes you a little bit lazy, maybe even a little bit reckless. This is where I would put, if you abuse this position, this is where I'd put once saved, always saved. Once you're saved, nothing, you can do nothing to jeopardize. You just kind of coast and you don't even care what you do now because you're already there. That's what this could do. Entitlement. I think of another response you could make is really be discouraged and impatient. It's like a person who is 21 years old and they find out that they have a trust from their grandparents but they can't really claim it till they're 25 and how frustrating it gets to them and they're just impatient. I can think of a song sung in a popular movie. Let's see if I guess, is that the next screen? I may have gotten them out of order, but what's the next screen? Okay, does anybody know what song belongs to this one? What's the song? Just can't wait to be king, right? He's gonna be king. He's not there yet. 
but he's going to be king. Oh, I just can't wait. And you just get this impatience and this discouragement, right? That's, that's a stroke of brilliance. How many are singing that song right now in your head? I mean, okay, okay. Or it could lead to doubt and uncertainty. What? I can see David because he was anointed to be the next king, and the next thing he knows, he's back in the field watching sheep. Is that, was that really what God had in mind? Is this, you ever feel this way? That you became a Christian and you have the full presence of the Holy Spirit in you and you read everything Scripture says about what the Spirit's going to do in your life and then you look at your life and you go, did that really happen? This is why a lot of people say, no, 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 the Holy Spirit doesn't indwell. It doesn't work like that because it doesn't sound anything like Paul describes. I know what you mean. That doubt sometimes when there's such a gap between what you've been given and when you actually receive it. It's a strange phenomenon. These things can happen. This is what can happen in the already but not yet moment. I think what God intended, intended was for this anointing that he had Samuel put on David to give him focus and guidance, to, to take on a sense of responsibility and look at the opportunities that he was going to be given in the next few years. We should look at baptism this way. It launches us into a life for God, and we now are equipped by the Holy Spirit of God to pursue maturity. God never intended for us to sit back and say, well, this means the Spirit's in me, and I can just sit back and let the Spirit produce. That's not how it works. He never intended it to. He intended you to start practicing your life, assuming and understanding the Holy Spirit is in you and giving you opportunities to grow and to mature into that. He never intended it to be something that made you fatalistic. I compare us to David for a reason. I'm going to go back to Romans chapter 5. We were here not long ago, but I want us to look at it at the same place. Here's a look at the, the first line of this verse. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, past tense, since now, the moment you received the grace God wants to give you, you were justified. He stood up and announced the verdict. You are justified. It's past tense. But the rest of that verse, this is all the same verse, Romans 5 verse 9, how much more will we be saved from his wrath? By him from the wrath. Hold it, hold it, hold it. If I'm already saved, what do you mean how much more I will be saved one day? How can both be true? I know, that's confusing sometimes. It's called already, but not yet. He saved you. But there's coming a day when he will save you so much more fully. And that is so confusing. It's already, not yet, already, not yet. And uh, I was referring to this uh, Wednesday night with these young professionals because this was, uh, I'm going to use kingdom of God language to describe this too. Any of you taught, I still remember this, this is one of those things I thought was so strange in my, uh, uh, I was probably eight or nine, ten years old in Bible class, and the teacher said about the Lord's Prayer, teaching about the Lord's Prayer, we no longer, one of those lines, we don't pray anymore. Have you, has anybody been taught this? One of those lines, 
we do not pray anymore. Anybody remember what that line is? Thy kingdom come. Because the church is here. Ta-da! Is that it? Is that what the kingdom is? No offense, church. I love church. But is that it? Is that the fullness? I hope there's more than this. No offense, again. But I remember being taught, thy kingdom come. You don't pray that anymore. It's already come, so you strike that out of the Lord's prayer. And I look at that and you go, you've got to be joking me. Because here's the truth. There is a kernel of truth to that teaching. Kingdom is, it is available for you to participate in now when you become part of the church. That's absolutely true. But that kernel is so small, it's not worth striking this line out. Because the kingdom, I still want to, I want to see the whole thing come. I'm not just wanting to see the church as it struggles through this lower history of earth, right? I want to see the fullness. Anybody else with me? Does anybody want to see the whole thing where God's kingdom is done perfectly on earth as it is in heaven? Anybody want to see that? You think that's worth praying for? I'm keeping that in my prayer, y'all. It's staying right where Jesus put it. And we might look at it a little different. We might understand it more fully than, than just the church. I think, I think Jesus meant it for more than just the church. That's what we're talking about. You do get to participate in the kingdom. We do, y'all. You are a member of God's kingdom that will, that will reign forever, right? You are already part of it, but I'm looking for the whole shebang. I don't want anything less than that. And this is not just for semantics. This isn't just for some intellectual curiosity to explain a few things. I, I, I'm not just trying to make you sh sure that you got your tenses right. That 25 years between the anointing and the actual taking of the throne, is that just wasted time? Does that year just, you just sit and wait and twiddle your thumbs? Because I'm going to tell you, that's where you live. This is where you live your life, in between claiming being part in the kingdom and getting the full kingdom. This is where we live. And so does it matter? Does it matter what you do? Some people say, no, it doesn't. Once you're in the kingdom, who cares? You can't get out of it, so just coast your way. Some people think that. But it's interesting why they chose to make David king. You remember what exhibit A was. He's an Israelite. That's a given. Uh, exhibit C was, you've been anointed by God. We know that. But exhibit B was what he had done in between his anointing and this moment when he's being chosen. You've got to act on your identity. You've got to practice and demonstrate your identity. It's almost like God says, I'll give you a place in my kingdom if you live in such a way that you show me you want it. I will give you the home of righteousness, heaven, if you live a righteous life on earth, which shows me you want it bad enough to live according to its rules now. If you will do that, if you'll demonstrate it with your works, this is where Paul and James get together, right? That's what happens. And so what we know from David is between his anointing at 12 years old, we're guessing, in 1 Samuel 16, to this moment in 2 Samuel chapter 5, David has acted royal. 
He's acted according to what a king should act. He's defended his homeland even when he wasn't in his homeland. He's defended his king even when his king was after him. He's lived according to the will of God the entire time. This is what you do in the already but not yet time. Three things. He served the kingdom was number one. He did whatever Saul asked him to do. He played the harp to ease his troubled mind. He was his armor bearer. He was leading the men of war. Despite having reasons to, he never took up arms against that king, and he never turned up against Israel. He defended the kingdom even when he wasn't living there. He was in Philistine territory. Here's where I believe we need to take our cue from John the Baptist. You remember what John the Baptist's role was? Anybody remember what it was? He was the forerunner. It was like he was... Uh, he was getting I-555 all straightened out so that people coming after him have an easier way to get to where they're going. John the Baptist is creating a highway that other people can travel and know Jesus. Well, you know what you're doing? You're creating in your life, by serving the kingdom, you're creating an easier way for people to see the spiritual kingdom of God by looking at your life. You are serving the kingdom of God. In the time between your baptism and when you get to meet the Lord face to face, serve the kingdom of God. Serve that kingdom and live it out. That's how you live in the already but not yet. Second, he lived for God's honor. Even when nobody was looking. We see that in the Psalms, but we also see it when he goes against Goliath. How dare you come against the armies of the living God? How, how dare you uncircumcised Philistine say these things about the living God of heaven? How dare you? And so with the zeal, the zeal of God's zealousness, his reputation, he lived for God even when no one's looking. Take more of God's image on yourself. Live for God's honor. And thirdly, he constantly consulted God. At every turn, he was asking God what to do. What is it that will be in line with you? Whether it was through the ephod, whether it was through the priest, whether it was through the prophets, whether it was through his prayer, he was always consulting God's will. This is what we are to do between the already and the not yet, where we live right now. That's how you live between your anointing of the Holy Spirit at your baptism and the day you see God face to face and the fullness of your salvation, the fullness of the kingdom. This is what we're called to do in the meantime. We already have a place. We have our place reserved for us in the kingdom of God. It's, it's here. We are living it now, but it's not yet. So we live like it's here even though the people around us do not. We live by the ethics of our homeland kingdom, even while we're living in the kingdom of earth. This is why we're called aliens. This is why we're called foreigners. We do not belong here. We're heading home. And while we're headed home, we're going to go ahead and already live by the law of home. Showing God that that's where we want to live the rest of our eternity. We're casting a vote by how we live here. If the way you are living right now is going to continue in eternity, will it be good for you? 
Are you showing God, demonstrating in your own life that you want to be with him? Or are you living in a way that you wouldn't want to see him? Because if you're living that way, he will honor you and give you what you want, an eternity of not being with him. Those are the choices. You're living in the already but not yet, church. We are already there, but we don't have it yet, and we long to see it. And until we do, don't lose it. Do not, do not lose it. Do not be hazardous with this. Do not be risky with this or impatient. Let's be a people who live in the already but the not yet. There's anyone who's not chosen this yet. Maybe you have not lived this way. This is not the way that you have acted. Maybe you haven't responded to God and you're, you're not in the already, but not, you're, you're in the not even yet category, right? You need to respond. You need to decide that this is where I want to live. This is the kind of life I want to have. I want to be God's. I want to be anointed into his kingdom. And this, this evening, you can do that. It stands ready all the time. But right now, as a community, we urge you, if you're not in that kingdom, come be part of that kingdom. Live your life for it. And then Bask in that joy of singing about it. I love when Jeff this morning in the early service. So we're going to sing really good. We're going to these masks are off. We can really sing. And, and of course, he had to sing a song about heaven. That's one that gets us all jazzed up, right? Sing a song about because that's y'all where we want to be, and it's where we're headed. But we're not there yet. But let's live like it. Let's live like it. If there's any response you need to make, make it known as we stand and as we sing.